Welcome to San Diego Sessions. We're here in the studio today with pianist and composer Joshua White. Listening to San Diego Sessions, San Diego's jazz podcast, featuring local artists, new releases, and more. Here are your hosts, Ian Tordella and Ed Kornhauser. All right, welcome to this week's episode of San Diego Sessions. We're here in studio with my esteemed co-host, Mr. Ed, Kornha- Ed, Ed, oh. Korn- Ed, uh, Ed Kornhauser. <laughs> <laughs> I usually let him introduce himself. Well, but apparently you need to hold my hand today. <laughs> and our special guest this week is pianist and composer and friend of the podcast, Joshua White. Hello, Welcome. hello. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Uh, and we're here to, to discuss his new album, 13 short stories debut album debut yeah. album yeah debut and new it's been a long time coming yeah <laughs> glad it's here and before we get into that we have our usual segment uh of inane banter this is our segment called this versus that uh, can we can, can i officially petition to rename it inane banter In, <laughs> inane banter yes okay for this versus that this week first up we're in the read section okay so ed uh saxophonist and bass clarinetist from uh, Lee Morgan's group. Also, you probably heard him with Herbie Hancock's Headhunters, Benny Maupin, or swing-era icon clarinetist Benny Goodman. You're just all about the clarinet lately. <laughs> um, I mean, in terms of personal taste, I'm going to go with Benny Maupin, although Benny Goodman did a lot of good, lot of good you know, he, you know, consummate clarinetist. He integrated his band brought a lot of famous people into the limelight. He was a cool dude. Uh, but in terms of personal taste, I'm going to go Benny Maupin. All right. And Benny Goodman, you know, he never played with bassist Michelle and Diego Cello. So Benny <laughs> yeah. Maupin did. Right. I mean, that's definitely... That's <laughs> that definitely, definitely factored into my decision. That's worth noting for sure. Uh, okay, next up. Bassist. These are both New York residents. New York guys. Bassist Doug Weiss or drummer... Dan Weiss. I feel like you've painted me into a bit of a corner here. Uh, uh, our esteemed uh, colleague, or and our guest in the studio today, has done some uh, a lot of playing with Dan, and I I love Dan's playing. Super like f- frenetic and and fast and dense and inventive, and so and Doug's great too. I I don't know his work as well. He teaches at like SUNY Purchase, I think. Doesn't he, Doug Weiss? I don't mm. know. I know they're both New York cats, and I love his playing. He's got a great tone, but I'm going to go with Dan. Okay, and moving into our last question, this is 1950s Count Basie oh. trivia. Oh, uh, Innovative flute player and tenor saxophonist Frank Wess, or composer, composer arranger, tenor saxophonist, tenor saxophonist. and yeah. flautist Frank Foster. Okay. It's, uh... This is a tough one. You know, I um, having that 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 flute presence in Count Basie's band was super cool, and Frank West was a great soloist, and he really added a cool color. But Frank Foster's like arranging really put like a put like a mark on Basie's band, and really added like another element to it that I think was very impactful. So I'll go with Frank Foster. When I think of Basie, I I think of Frank Foster quite a bit. Right, yeah, he's definitely the sound of the the New Testament bassy band. Yeah, so go. Good. But they were in a group together, man. You know, the Franks, Frank and Frank. Yeah, oh. yeah, in the late '60s or, or in the '60s with an with an organ. Oh, wow. yeah. Oh, he was a great flute player for sure. I mean, like a very uh, lyrical and and he added that cool element like within the horn section. It was super cool. You can always tell it was him. Anyway, we'd like to welcome Joshua White into the studio today, 
and he's here to play and talk a little bit about his debut record, 13 Short Stories. Yes, yes. Thank you for having me. Really excited to have my um, debut record out and finally available and people to check out, you know, the music I've been working on for quite some time with, you know, various players as well as like my core group of musicians with whom I, you know, generally work with and hire. Yeah, so who who's on this record besides you? Mm. On this record, we have um, Dean Hewlett on bass, Jonathan Pinson on drums, and finally, Josh Johnson on alto saxophone. So sort of an amalgamation of a San Diego crew and a L.A. Are they are Josh and are they, are they based out of uh, Los Angeles? I or? mean, you could say that, but they're, you know, um, Jonathan's from Los Angeles, but, you know, he tours and plays with just about everybody on the scene. And I think he spends a lot of time on the East Coast. Mm. And then Josh Johnson is from sh the Chicago area. And he also tours a lot and plays with a lot of different people. So I don't feel that necessarily the location to where we to where we reside really represents any, you know, sound or different, like, you know, specific uh, perspective, because we're all pretty much, you know, out on the scene playing with a lot of variety, uh, uh, different players and, you know, you know, conversing with different perspectives, you know, that's uh, true. Like you don't you in this age, you don't need to be tied down by geography. You know? Right. You yeah. know, I don't think that really defines a sound necessarily. You know, it's it's definitely, you know, the player and how they, you know, view the music and how they explore, you know. Well, let's lead it off with one of the tracks from the record. This first one we're going to hear is the ignoble paradox of modernity. And this is Joshua White with his quartet. Thank you. 
And we're back. And you were listening to Joshua White's composition, The Ignoble Paradox of Modernity, from his debut record, 13 Short Stories. Where, uh, where did you, uh, when did you guys record that? Um, I think we recorded back in March of this year, 2017, at Tri- uh, Tritone Studios in Los Angeles with the great um, engineer, uh, Tally Sherwood. Nice. I know. Uh, I've never gone up there myself. I know local pianist Danny Green recorded up there rather recently. Mm-hmm. And it's got, it sounds like the, the great tone on the piano. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it was a... Um, an interesting, interesting experience to work with him. This was our first time meeting and like working together, so it was a definitely a learning experience on my end to uh, to work with somebody, um, you know, a great engineer like that, and really observe and you know really try to you know understand you know his point of view, but as well as you know express how I'm feeling in terms of um, sound or vibe that I'm trying to get, you know. Did he act in, in a sort of a producer's role as well as just an engineer, or did you have a producer? Oh no, it was it was all basically um, my concept in terms of the music and how I wanted the vibe to occur. But in terms of you know um, capturing the sound, you know you know how things are mic'd and how you know um, I kind of let him you know have. I'm not saying let him have an opinion, but I'm just saying I, I, I kind of looked to him to see what his perspective was. And then, you know, all the cats gave in, you know, their own different perspective. And then we, you know, came to a consensus in terms of like, okay, this is the kind of sound we want for the drums, right. or this is what we're going to do for the bass. Because, you know, like Dean loves to, you know, play acoustic and, you know, we want to make sure we capture that sort of sound, you know. And I that's what I, um, that's one of the things about, um, great things about Tally is he was able to, you know, listen, you know, even though it's his studio, it's like he's able to listen and adjust. And so it's not really like an authoritarian sort of um, environment. It's really, I would say like more in a, a democratic space in terms of, you know, being able to record and capture what we need to capture in order to capture the vibe. That's good. I mean, you want to have sort of, you want to have the space be open and flexible to whatever you're going to bring into it. Right. Um, especially true in a recording studio, especially true with jazz, when you really need the creativity to be flowing, you need mm. to feel free to do it. And it's, I mean, you got a great tone out of the piano. Mm. You got a really interesting tone out of the drums. I was, this sounds funny, but I just, for some reason, I, I hear a, a lot of the toms specifically, and they just jump out at me. I don't know if that was, if that was Jonathan's playing more or the, the mic placement, but I, the whole record, I just hear, a lot of the Tom speaking, mm-hmm. but maybe that was just just the way he plays. But it something that made me made me think that maybe it was a recording thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, mixing and mastering and you know all that you know <laughs> stuff. <laughs> but yeah, it is great when you have an engineer who's more diplomatic and also knows enough about jazz that he's sensitive to those concerns you have about what is the tone mm-hmm. of each instrument, not not just capturing it, but having a perspective on it. Yeah, um, absolutely. How did you uh, how did you go about selecting the players in your band? Had you worked together before? I mean, yeah, we've worked together in various contexts. Um, you know, I work with Dean. You know, practically on every um, gig that I do. You know, Dean then, Hewlett, local San Diego yes, bass player. Dean Hewlett, the great Dean Hewlett from Cleveland, and he lets you know that every time. Oh we play yeah, together. yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a he's a fish out of Cleveland, mm-hmm. and just really the players are players that I, I consider within the family of uh, uh, musicians with whom I work with the most. And um, and really for this project, or just any project that I do, it's like I always want to capture a certain vibe or a certain energy, um, a really spontaneous um, vibe and energy that I feel like that I need in order for it to... For, for me to feel at my most creative, meaning that I like players to play things, like even if it's written or um, or w- even if we've discussed something, if you hear something, go for it. Yeah. You know, and players who, who are uninhibited in terms of their forms of expression, you know, because a lot of like all the solo piano tracks are one take and basically all the band takes are either one take or the second take. You know, and if we did a second take, it was basically just to capture another vibe. Right. You know? And then so you A, B, it's not like, which did we do better? Which one do we like more in terms of what we did, what we pulled off? Yeah, I, I mean, because, 
you know, with this caliber of players, it's like every time we, you know, push record, it's like we're going to get, you know, something, you know, I feel that, you know, is worthy to be on on the record, not to sound, you know, like hockey or anything, but it's just that that sort of vibe of, you know, it's not about any quote unquote mistakes because we're, you know, explorers, you know, it's not it's not about that, you know, so. right. Yeah. So, but in terms of producing this yourself mm. and coming up with a concept for the album, I thought of this when you're talking about being spontaneous. Did you guys get together and demo out some of this material and play it beforehand, or is this just material you'd been playing on gigs with these guys? Well, it's 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 songs that had been in my book, you know, for the most part. But even then, it's. And that we've we, we've played uh, previously, but even when we get to the recording session, like I, I never want anybody to be on autopilot. I never want anybody to feel like they know what's going to happen. Right. So I'd be like, um, maybe you start here, or we, we start in the middle of the composition. You just play a vibe off of the melody, or not, huh. and we'll find a way to work through this. You know, so like with uh, Curiosity Landing, I just said maybe. Uh, drums and alto start and uh alto you can play because there's definitely a written introduction but you could play off that or just pick a note and play that and we'll be able to hear by the notes that you play where you are or not you know but we'll vibe in and once we add the colors it 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 doesn't matter so like ultimately what i'm saying is it's like playing with people who are uninhibited but can always make a way regardless of what happens. It, it, it doesn't matter what you play. It's like, we're not going to get lost. We're, you, you're not going to, you know, we're, we're always going to find a way. There's always a way home. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting thing. I like the idea of having the willingness to be spontaneous and just be open and not be like, let's work out everything in advance so we can do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. But just being ready to walk in and just okay let's do it different let's do it this way let's let's play how we feel mm-hmm. and it really makes it uh the music spontaneous and and free and creative and sound yeah it gives the whole thing a great vibe well actually if i may um add something like the first track of the album the ignoble parody of uh, uh paradox excuse me <laughs> of modernity um that was a tune that we had not even played before. I had uh, come up with a, a, a concept, and I sent them a video of me playing it, and say, and and I, you know, sent it to them like maybe a day before the session, and I said, interpret this however you hear it, you know. So when we get to the session, so I told Josh, um, you could play the melody or not, or you could pick certain notes out of the melody huh. or not. Dean, you hear what I'm playing, interpret whatever you need to interpret. Huh. Uh, Jonathan, you you hear what's going on, so interpret it. Color it as you will. I mean, that's that's really what I feel as an improviser. The best that we can do is to be able to act within the moment and always thinking critically and you know adjusting and you know composing in the moment. You know, like I'm not interested in what necessarily what you've practiced. Right. Like I don't care. You know, that's why you know I lose interest so quickly. And sometimes when what you know other musicians are playing and not saying that like I'm the, you know, the pinnacle of like what it means to be an improviser. I'm just saying that I just want to hear something that's, you know, like that relays a certain immediacy and that's within the moment and that I've, you know, spontaneous, but also takes into account the context, which might be a composition. So it's like, here's a context. Now do some with it now. Right. That speaks to the way you feel at at that that moment. moment. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, what what I believe is that that tells me more about you than what you've practiced. Like when you play in that context at that moment, I can see how your mind works, how you how you see something in the moment, you know, and that tells me a lot more about you as a musician. And I feel that that opens doors in terms of communication so we can all see how each other works in the moment. So when there's a a sort of adjustment that needs to be made, we can turn on a dime. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, I think it's a great pairing. We were talking a little bit before the show of you with Josh Johnson, because Josh is an alto player out of Chicago, but he's in the type of music you're describing. He's worked a lot in that context, and I love his work with players like guitar player Jeff Parker, mm-hmm. um, and I just think hearing you 
and Josh Johnson is a really good mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you love to work with with alto saxophonists. So. I mean, you know, um, <laughs> you know, alto trombone. Uh, it's it's all the same, you know. Cause, yeah, because really, what I it's think it's a means of expression. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's about it's that voice. person. Yeah, so it's you know, you can get another alto saxophonist and it'd be like, you know, great sound or whatever. But the ideas, I'm I'm more yeah. interested always in the idea. Well, in terms of voice, yeah, I mean, Josh Johnson, just his sound mm. combined with his ideas, it, uh, he's one of my favorite alto players out there right now. So. Mm. Yeah, he, does yeah. have a, he has a gorgeous tone for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah, let's get into another track off the record. I think we're going to hear A Million Days, and that's going to be followed by Particle. But I wanted to mes- mention to our listeners that Joshua, Joshua White has a CD release coming up for this record November 24th at Dizzy's in San Diego. And that's going to be the CD release featuring the band from the record. And again, the record's called... 13 short stories. Dan Schnell on drums. Oh, oh, Dan Schnell will be on drums instead of uh, Jonathan Pinson. Great drummer. But it's going to be an outstanding band. Yeah, excellent drummer. Okay, here we go with A Million Days. Thank you. 
You're listening to San Diego Sessions. Subscribe on iTunes or listen online at DirtyBoulevardRecording.com. I'm Nick Caldwell, and here's your jazz forecast for November 12th through the 19th. Sunday, November 12th, guitarist Zoe Shaw and vocalist Kathleen Dugas perform at noon at Maritalia Ristorante in Coronado. The Mandy Joe Project plays at Public Square Coffee House in La Mesa. Doors open at 6 p.m. $10 cover and all ages welcome. Steph Johnson and Rob Thorson open at 6.15 p.m., so get there early. Tap dancer Claudia Gomez brings her soul group, Soul Collective, to Panama 66 from 6 to 8 p.m., featuring Gabriel Sundy, Ivana Wazinski, and Danica Molinar. Sassy Sunday with Lorraine Castellanos and pianist Hugo Suarez at the Turf Supper Club from 8 to 11 p.m. No cover, 21 and up. Monday, November 13th. Guitarist Louis Valenzuela hosts his regular Monday night jam session at Rosie O'Grady's in Normal Heights from 9 p.m. to midnight. No cover, 21 and up. Wednesday, November 15th. Grammy-nominated vocalist Renee Mary performs for Jazz at TSRI with her group Experiment in Truth, featuring John Chen on piano, Elias Bailey on bass, and Quentin Baxter Jr. on drums. The show starts at 7.30 p.m. Tickets available online at www.ljatheneum.org. Acclaimed New York drummer and band leader Ari Honig brings his trio to Dizzy's at 8 p.m., featuring Natai Hershkovitz on piano and Orbaraket on bass. Covers $25. Trumpeter Gilbert Castellanos hosts his regular Wednesday night jam session at Panama 66. Listen to the best jazz San Diego has to offer right in the middle of Balboa Park. Music from 8.30 to 11.30 p.m. Drop by early to see the Young Lions play from 6 to 8 p.m., featuring up-and-coming musicians from around the city. Thursday, November 16th. Guitarist Peter Sprague plays solo at Flower Hill Mar in Del Mar at 12.30 p.m. Saxophonist Robert Dove brings his chair to Panama 66 for his first and third Thursday residency. Music from 6 to 8 p.m. The Rob Thorson Quartet performs at the Salvation Army Joan Crock Center at 6.30 p.m. Free and family friendly. Vocalist Kevin Mahogany plays at Martinis Above 4th in Hillcrest at 8 p.m. Tickets available at ma4sd.com. The Ellington Jazz Ensemble from the School of Creative and Performing Arts plays at Dizzy's under the direction of John Reynolds. Covers $15 or $10 for students. Show at 8 p.m. Friday, November 17th. The Rob Thorson Trio plays two sets in the 950 Lounge at the Handley Hotel beginning at 5.30 p.m. Featuring pianist Hugo Suarez and drummer Richard Sellers. No cover and free parking. The Friday Happy Hour is a regular series put on by Holly Hoffman, so stay tuned for more great jazz. The Robert Dove Quartet, featuring percussionist Tommy Eros, plays at the Franco Mora Grega Gallery for a benefit for victims of the hurricanes in Puerto Rico from 6 to 9 p.m. Tickets are $50 and cocktails, hors d'oeuvres, and valet parking are included. Guests must be 21+. plus. Vocalist Deneen Wilburn joins pianist Kamau Kenyatta and band at Boré Southern Bistro at 7 p.m. Sue Palmer, San Diego's queen of boogie-woogie, plays at Panama 66 from 7 to 9 p.m. No cover and all ages welcome. Gilbert Castellanos presents Jazz at the Westgate from 8 to 11 p.m. in the Plaza Bar of the Westgate Hotel. Drummer and composer Nathan Hubbard performs his original music in a trio setting at Dizzy's with pianist Ed Kornhauser and bassist Harley Magzino. Music at 8 p.m., $15 cover. Saturday, November 18th. Pianist Ed Kornhauser leads a duo in the lobby of the U.S. Grant Hotel from 5.15 to 7.45 p.m. Vocalist Allison Adams Tucker presents an evening of the Great American Songbook at the Westgate Hotel, also with pianist Ed Kornhauser and bassist Mackenzie Layton. Music from 8 to 11 p.m. Sunday, November 19th. Lex and the Jewels perform at Panama 66 from 6 to 8 p.m. Guitarist Peter Sprague and vocalist Leonard Patton play at Solterra Winery and Kitchen in Encinitas at 7 p.m. I'm Nick Caldwell, and you're listening to San Diego Sessions, San Diego's only jazz podcast.
And we're back at Dirty Boulevard Recording Company for San Diego Sessions. Our guest this week is pianist Joshua White, and we've been listening to some cuts from his new album, 13 Short Stories. And now we have our weekly segment, The San Diego Seven with Ed Kornhauser. Yes, these are seven rapid-fire questions, some musical, others less so, that Mm. we'd like you to answer from the top of your head and the bottom of your heart. Mm. Uh, Number one. What was the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning? I love people. That's I think that's the best answer we've gotten on that one. That's a good <laughs> one. That's a wow. Okay. Wow. Number two. This could change on the daily or even by the hour. But what are you reading at the moment? Um, a collection of short folk stories and um, fables uh, from India. Oh, wow. Very cool. On to something very different. Number three. We're bringing this one back. Would you rather have feet for hands or hands for feet? Hands for feet, absolutely. Yeah. It just seems, you know, more interesting and practical and, you know, a little more on the creepy side. I like it. Yeah. Wouldn't they feel weird in your in your Chuck Taylors or in your Air Jordans, like your hands in there? I would you had we- to get somewhere? I wouldn't wear shoes. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> You could just because then you could just grab stuff with your feet. You could swing. You could you have prehensile feet. Well, immediately I go to um, X Men Beast. So uh-huh. I mean, that's you know that's kind of my vibe. Fair play, fair play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you had hands for or no, sorry, feet for hands, you could just you know quadruped run. You could pull a cheetah and you could be dashing all about. So if that's your thing, cool. But mm-hmm. I'm 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 team hands for feet. Yeah. Wait. Yes. <laughs> sorry, it's very confusing. Um. Number four, is there a good rule or guideline that you think a lot of musicians overlook on the gig? Hmm. This okay. is a new one. That's a new one, yeah. I got a couple new ones. Can you repeat that just one more time? Yeah, yeah because sure. It got, mm. it's, yeah, it's kind of, I phrased it. I tried to phrase it well. <laughs> is there a good rule or guideline that you think a lot of musicians overlook on the gig? And I don't mean uh, white socks with black shoes. No, 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 I... I think, I think maybe it's an appreciation of the listening audience, meaning that what you play has an impact on um, the people listening. And that, that, might, that might sound you know, very uh, simple, but I feel like a lot of times musicians will go off and do their thing, and as a listener, it's very monotonous, very boring, mm-hmm. and you're not really cognizant of... You know, it's 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 a it's equivalent to somebody just rambling on and on and on and on, you know, with no really direction or point to what they're you know speaking of, and the people listening or who paid to hear you, you know, they're there. But I feel like sometimes we, you know, as musicians, have the tendency um, to just you know be inwardly looking and not really aware of the space. And actually, that was told to me um, by Herbie Hancock. He. Uh, one of the the first times that we actually got a chance to talk he was like just remember to make sure that the audience is a a part of your environment too and never forget that that's a that that's a great rule to take to heart Mm -hmm. i remember in when i was at state uh the pianist hal galper was Mm -hmm. there for a clinic and he was talking about that uh he said it in a slightly more crass way than that, but he talked about how you never want to get up there and just do the same thing over and over again just for your own pleasure, because there's a word for that. Mm-hmm. And then he goaded some college kid into saying it. But yeah, you you have to take into account that the audience audience is a part of that spontaneous creation too. Uh, I, I know we're on like the rapid fire thing, but I just want yeah. to elaborate on yeah. that. No, that's fine. <laughs> because I just had a solo piano gig recently, you know, like a, over at UCSD with quite a you know bit of people in the audience, and I I, I don't want to um, you know imply that you know as musicians, we shouldn't be inward looking and you know really focus on trying to you know. Um, express our vulnerabilities and what we think, but always just make sure that, you know, it, it's about communicating and telling a story, I believe. You know, so at this solo piano thing, it's like I had their attention, you know, so I felt that I could be um, really inward looking and say something that means something deeply to me, you know, as opposed to trying to impress them or... um 
or just totally just like rambling on. It's like I really took attention to everything I said and made sure that it meant something personally to me. And I think people will feel that and, you know, they'll be able to get that. They will. They'll appreciate the sincerity. Yeah, Yeah. basically. You know, so just never forget that. That's a good rule to take to heart. Uh, Number five. What's something invisible that you wish people could see? Kind of a funny one. Okay, well, if we're going funny, I wish people can like see smells, you know. So like, uh, <laughs> now I regret saying that because I might have tainted your answer, but I do like that answer. You know, like so it'd be like different colors or whatever. So you mm. walk into a room and you see, you know, you know, you can smell a lot of things, but you're able to see somebody smell or know where they are. You know, I, yeah. I bet some people can. I'm, you know? I'm sure certain people can like smell you. So yeah, like I, you know. I was talking to my friend Sarah the other day, and yes, yesterday, and I was saying how it would be cool to if you could capture and release certain smells at certain times. Like I don't mean that in a weird way. I don't mean that in a weird way. I don't mean that in a weird way. But like I mean, scent uh, smell is at least for me, and I think a lot of people so tied in with memory. Mm -hmm. And when I smell something and I can associate it with such a with a good memory or a happy memory, it just gives me like this immense feeling of euphoria. Like mm-hmm. I love walking outside at night and you can smell wood smoke coming from the chimney. It's mm-hmm. my favorite smell on the planet. And mm-hmm. it just makes me feel like a kid again and I just love it. Mm-hmm. And so I wish I could, if I had some way to control that, <laughs> you know, if a Apple would have an app. An app, yes. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. The smell app. Yeah. But also too, like, I think it could help with like um, medical... Um, being able to diagnose something like so if somebody you that's can see the true. smell yeah and that's the reason why that, true and the reason why that got me to thinking about that is because i'm reading a book right now on the history of uh, medical imaging oh this talk about like miasma and that whole thing well it, it, it talks about just the history of um x-rays to mris to cat scans the use of um, imaging technology you know and used to you know diagnosing different things you know so being able to see you know if your leg is infected, right? Right. You could see the the gangrene smell, yeah. Yeah, or just whatever. If like something internally, you know. That would be amazing. Which is it's it's funny cuz back in the day people used to think bad smells <coughs> caused disease before we understood about germ theory and everything. Right. People used to think like cholera was caused by bad smells. Mm-hmm. So you just dump flowers and you know like the doctor the the plague doctors used to wear all these flowers in their mm. in their masks cuz they thought they would ward off the disease. Mm. But ironically, because they covered their faces, that actually probably right. helped. And the same with cleaning out communities and like when they were just like trash in the streets, it's like, oh, it's the bad smell. So we we start to clean up everything. But, you know, subsequently by doing that, you know, help, you know, the environment as well. The, the know, wrong the wrong logic, but the, the right effect. Yes, exactly. Um, all right. Moving on. Number six. Would you drive an automated car or rather would you let it drive you? Okay, well, I have no problem with being, you know, driven or, you know, letting the technology, you know, I'm, and whatever happens, happens. I'm not, you know. They're they're perfecting the technology. It's getting better. Because what I'm thinking is, I'm waiting for the time when we can be on, like, a bus or whatever, and it's, like, self-driving, and, you know, you could be, you know, cooking, or you could have, like, a band rehearsal on the tour and just the bus drives itself you know there's no windows no anything it's all just like moving in tubes or whatever I have no problem with you know the advancement of technology I don't need to be in control like that cool I'm all for tubes as well yes Uh, (laughs) number seven our old standby bacon or or just that's it Mm mm-hmm What's the first thing that comes to my mind? Oh, just well, however you want to ant- interpret that. Death. Creatively on the spot. Death. Bacon death. Mm. I think there was a punk band called that at one oh, point. Really? Yeah, no. <laughs> but I'm 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 definitely not a fan. I haven't, you know, been um vegetarian for quite some time now. And so word. I think I, I'm keeping sort of a score at the different answers. Mm. Isaac said Kevin Isaac Crow said Kevin Bacon. Mm. Kamau said turkey. Mm. And then there's been a mix of yes or no. <laughs> mm. I say death. That's death. my answer. That's a, I'm liking the new answers. Mm-hmm. All right. That was a San Diego 7 featuring Edward Kornhauser and Joshua White. Uh, but we're going to continue and talk about some of your upcoming gigs and, sure. and a few other things. <clears throat> You're playing on November 24th at Dizzy's for the album release. Yes. Um, and then what else do you have coming up in the near future? 
Well, right before that, I'll be playing a noon concert at the Athenaeum Music and Arts Library. I think that's one zero zero one Wall Street in La Jolla, and it will be a um, trio gig with bassist Dean Hewlett and um, Curtis Taylor on trumpet. And that's on November the twentieth. November twentieth, yes, at noon. At noon, free. And then, as Ian said, uh, your CD release is the twenty fourth at Dizzy's. Yes. And that's going to be featuring uh, Josh Johnson on alto saxophone, once again, Dean Hewlett on bass, and um, my good friend uh, Dan Schnell on drums. Right on, right on. So do you have any plans to uh, get this band on the road or do some stuff outside of Southern California now that the record's out? I mean, if the opportunity presents itself, uh, certainly. And there's, I've been in talks with the, the record label and heading to Europe soon and, you know, doing some concerts over there, but there's nothing... Um, quite um confirmed at this moment you know yeah what what uh, what label did you put this out on it's on fresh sound new talent based out of barcelona spain oh very cool mm-hmm. nice how'd you get linked up with them <clears throat> actually the uh the label owner jordy heard me in a concert with lee konitz and he was um he said he was impressed and he really liked what i was doing and so we exchanged numbers at that time and you know um Nothing really came out of it at that specific time, but then um, he ran into some other musicians that I uh, frequently work with, and they found he found out that they knew me and that we all worked together, and so he was interested. Like he had a renewed interest, and actually, I think this album is the the first album on his um, the the West Coast imprint of the label. Mm. You know, so he's really trying to you know develop that. So it's uh, fresh sound, new talent, like out of the West Coast. Cool. You know. And you were speaking earlier about um, just being cre- creative and open in the moment to to pursuing whatever whatever felt right in that moment. And Lee's Lee Konitz has been a player who's been doing that for years. Mm-hmm. So I, I could see I I've, I've never got to hear you two together, but I'm sure that the that there would be a good vibe between the two of you in that way. Um, I actually heard from quite a few people that they you know they liked our um, our vibe, our energy you know together. You definitely have a, a taste for the spontaneity. Well, for me, about especially playing with a player like um, Lee Konitz or Rudresh Mahanthapa or Greg Osby, it's about really, you know, understanding the context and finding a way to speak within that, uh, finding a way to get in, but then, you know, expanding upon that and then just, um, you know, seeing what can be done in that you know so and essentially what i'm saying is like with lee he he definitely has his concept and his um vibe you know so it's like i i wanted to find a way to meet him where he was you know because if 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 i'm coming and playing something like a, a clip that we played of like particles my composition yes. that wouldn't necessarily be compatible in terms of you know the vibe so it's like just being attentive and listening and then you know opening up a dialogue now as a, as a duo that's what you got to do you come together you find a middle ground mm-hmm. you make something cool happen there yeah. it was sort of like uh, i think last week we had uh, Les Arbuckle on and we were talking about maybe off air about that uh Oh, what was the name of it? The Coltrane record that's got um, uh, Cecil Taylor and mm-hmm. Kenny Dor- Kenny Dorham on it, yes. right? And it's like they cannot right. f- find a middle ground at all, and it's painful. Mm-hmm. And apparently, it was very painful in the studio too. Yeah. They were yelling and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you, you do have you, you have to approach both approach the middle ground and make something happen there. And it's for me, um, it's not even about the person. It's not about the person or, you know, um, who they are. It's, it's just about the sound. So you could take them out of it. It's, it's just purely hearing a sound. And how are you going to relate to that sound? How are you going to react to that, you know, piece of... Uh, how are you going to re- react to that phenomena? Huh. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's purely about the sound. <clears throat> the sound slash idea. Huh. And oh. not the person behind it necessarily. No, because like you could close your eyes, but it's like it, it's about like so. It's not. I'm not coming to it. Oh, this is Lee Konitz or this is Greg Osby. It's about these these people, um, 
or we all have like, you know, distinctive signatures or, you know, sounds or ways that we approach things. And so by uh, listening and being attentive, it doesn't matter, you know, what their history is or whatever. It's like when you're in that moment, you know, you're relating to what's happening at that given point in time, you know, so that's, that's, that's how I relate, you know, yeah, try to relate to people. And not just in music, but just in life, you know, it's like... Right. Well, speaking of sound, we're going we're gonna to hear one last track from the record, and this one's called Scarlet Tanninger. But um, speaking of sound and creativity and, and being in the moment, I know that this tune has been in your book for a while. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, Joshua White classic. Oh, yes. It's a gorgeous composition. Oh, thank you. So how did you approach this one in the studio? Or uh, give, give us a little intro on this tune before we take it out. I felt that with this tune in particular, it was um, we just gonna play it as is and capture the vibe of it, you know, because there wasn't really any like sort of tune. I, I you know, I don't want to say like groove, but like it already on the album. So I was like, okay, this this will work as is, mm-hmm. and we'll just go we'll just go from there. You know? Excellent. Well, we're gonna hear Scarlet Tanager, and again, our guest has been Joshua White. And we want to thank you for coming in and and sharing your passion for music and sound and creativity with us today. Mm. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for for having me. And come out to the CD release on November 24th.
You've been listening to the San Diego Sessions podcast brought to you by Dirty Boulevard Recording Company. Please subscribe now on iTunes or listen online at dirtyboulevardrecording.com. Theme music composed by Ed Kornhauser. Performed by Ed with Grant Fisher guitar, Harley Magzino bass, Ian Tordella saxophone, and Charles Weller drums. If you'd like to be a guest on San Diego Sessions, please contact us. All musical selections are used by permission of the artist. San Diego Sessions is engineered and produced by Ian Tordella at Dirty Boulevard Recording Company. <laughs>